Good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday to all of you, and good to see you here this morning, those of you online, good to have you as well. Um, what a beautiful Sunday after we had uh, some Thursday lightning and thunderstorms and gray skies and rain on Friday and gray skies yesterday. It's bright and sunny outside uh, this morning. It'd be nice if we had a skylight. We could just open this thing up and, uh, and let the sun shine in. But um, yeah, as Russ said, we put extra seating in the back. Good thing we had people come to the 830 service. We actually had a lot of people that normally come to the second service come to the 830 service, uh, which really did help us a lot. So I can't thank them because they're, they're already home or out to eat or doing whatever. But um, quick question, how many of you are visiting from out of town? Just a show of hands real quick. Uh, all right, you're not going to raise them high, but I saw a few. I mean, <laughs> it, it was like this, you know, but I saw about seven or eight. How many of you are going to have a family dinner after this? And all right, quite a few. We are, too. I mean, our whole crew will get together with my brother and our, our sisters and cousins and things like that. But um, uh, that's, always, that's always a good time to get together and see people that you haven't seen uh, most of the year and remember the resurrection of Jesus. I just want to cover a couple of quick things in addition to what uh, Dr. Rush uh, shared uh, with those announcements. Um, thank you to everyone who served yesterday. Uh, we had quite the team out there uh, serving and spreading mulch and pulling weeds and putting flowers back in, trying to get it looking nice for the summer. So uh, for those of you visiting, you'll, you'll think we try and take care of the place. So thank you so much uh, for those of you that served yesterday. Yeah, uh, give them a hand. And I think there was additional people on the team that were in the modular still cleaning there. And thank you to the two-by-two two team that went out and shared the gospel and, um, and invited people uh, on Saturday as well. I was in here from 3 o'clock till almost, I think I left here on 6.30. I did a memorial service, and the gospel went out last night, just as it will t today. And uh, definitely people that heard the gospel at this memorial service yesterday, which was not on my calendar uh, um, 10 days ago, but uh, the Lord put that there, and we had a great opportunity to share the Lord and uh, and with the day before Easter, that it's all about the fact that if Jesus rose from the dead, anybody uh, can rise. And we'll be talking about that this morning. And then uh, next, uh, I mentioned this, but again, I know we've got some new faces or people visiting. Uh, next week and the week after, I'll be doing a two-week prophecy series, kind of a, a gap in between we start our next study. Uh, we have an opportunity to just kind of look at about a fifth, uh, a four, I'm sorry, a fourth of the Bible, 25% of the Bible is prophecy, and so we'll be looking at uh, things that relate to the times that we're in right now. Uh, closer by the day is the title, but it's not just a title, it's the truth. We are closer to Jesus' return than when you got up this morning. And when you leave here, we'll still be closer to every single second we're closer to the Lord's return but we'll look at the uh, signs of the times that we are living in and what the scriptures have to say, what Jesus had to say about these last time, last days. And then uh, we'll start the book of Acts, verse-by-verse uh, verse study in the book of Acts in May, May 7th. And that we'll start that first Sunday uh, in the month of May, looking forward to getting into that book. And uh, we'll be looking at Luke's gospel today, and Luke also wrote the book of Acts, which we'll be looking at. Uh, to start that month. And so lastly, we continue to pray for revival. As Dr. Russ said, you know, our country needs you. But, um, you know, I, I just think back, God used even Easter. We were living in Fort Lauderdale at the time. And you guys know, I've told the story before about, you know, the, the, the gal cutting my hair and she invited me uh, to church. And she did invite uh, right around Easter to the Easter service. And we ended up, uh, that kind of led us back. And about two months later, we got saved. We didn't get saved at the Easter service, but it, it kind of you, the Lord used it to kind of bring us to starting to being convicted and, hey, we need, we need to give our lives to Christ. Uh, we're not ready for eternity. And uh, we pray that uh, revival comes to the churches in this nation because uh, the real need that we have is not found in political solutions, is not found in uh, an amazing economy, it's not found in people having more money, all of that stuff. We've thrown trillions at everything. Think about it. Any, any problem you can think of, we've already thrown trillions at it, and it just gets worse and worse and worse because the heart of man has to be changed. Uh, not, not their wallet, their heart. The heart of man has to change. And when I say man, I'm talking about mankind. Uh, I know our society's messed up on that too, but um, uh, 
but you know what I mean, so, uh, so you're not that bothered by that. But we are going to continue to pray. We've been praying for revival for quite some time. It's quite crowded. Uh, we normally get on our knees, and you can, but don't feel, you know, don't try real hard to do that. It's a, it's, it's a little bit tight in here. The first service, they had no issues, and we even had more in the 830 service than normal. But um, uh, I'll get on my knees because I have plenty of room up here. So uh, I am able to do that, and we're going to pray for our country, but also just for the work of revival and renewal in the churches in America. We've got a lot of churches that don't even preach the Bible anymore. They're preaching something else, or they're just cutting out the parts they don't like, or things of that nature. And so we're not going to compromise the Word of God, and we're going to keep praying that He stirs hearts and opens eyes, which we'll be looking at in our text this morning. So if you want to pray with me, you can. If you want to get on your knees, you're more than welcome to, but don't overly bother the person beside you that might be visiting and say, what? Yeah, I, I, I'm not comfortable. You're, you're getting in my space and all that stuff. Uh, but let's pray. Lord, we know your word says in the book of Psalms, if you should mark iniquities, who should stand? Not a single one of us in this room have ever done anything to earn your righteousness, to earn your forgiveness, to earn your mercy, to earn your grace. And Lord, we come as a needy people. We don't just pray that you would bring revival out there, outside these four walls and to our nation, but Lord, that you'd bring it inside these four walls. Lord, and uh, us personally, Lord, we need a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We need a deeper conviction of sin. We need an, a deeper hunger and thirst for your righteousness, Lord. We need uh, a greater compassion for those that are lost. We need, Lord, to have your heart. For you wept over Jerusalem. You, you said, I long to gather you. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, you would stir our hearts. I pray in this room, Lord, even if we've walked in here, uh, Lord, with wrong attitudes, wrong motives, pride, lust, anger, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that you'd wash and cleanse us personally. And Lord, we pray that you'd bring the work of an awakening in the church, in this church, in Calvary Chapel, Richmond, but all the churches in this city, and wherever there's false teaching or they've, uh, the Word of God is no longer taught, Lord, you would bring repentance even in the pulpits, even in the pastors uh, in this uh, country. Lord, we pray that there would be first judgment in the house of God. And Lord, we pray that also those that uh, don't know you, maybe they're atheists, maybe they're Muslim, maybe they're Hindu, maybe they're agnostic, uh, maybe they just are, don't care about anything. Lord, they don't know that they are not ready for eternity. We pray you'd open blind eyes. You'd soften hearts, Lord. We can share the gospel, but only you can soften hearts. And Lord, we pray that you'd bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come that only your spirit can do. We pray for an outpouring of revival in our cities, in our counties, in our small towns, Lord, rural America, urban America, all, in, all points in between. Lord, we pray this morning for the nation of Zambia and Africa. We've been praying for one country each week, and we know you love the people of Zambia as much as you love anyone. So, Lord, we pray that uh, you would also bring the same work of repentance in that nation and around the world. And I also lift up our persecuted brothers and sisters, Lord. Uh, remember them, release them, heal them, restore them to their families. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praying with us. I told the first service, I saw yesterday, uh, it was a picture, I don't know which military base, which um, Marine Corps base it was, but it was about 6,000 Marines worship service, and they were all on their knees praying. And it was, it was uh, talking about an army on their knees is more powerful uh, than anything. And so all these guys that are trained for battle, but uh, on their knees praying, uh, which is our greatest protection. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24, if you have your Bibles. And again, I know uh, they asked if anyone needs a Bible, but if you still didn't have one and you need one, you can raise your hand. We can still get one in your hands. But Luke chapter 24, we're going to read uh, the, first, uh, the first, um, let's see, 16 verses. Yes, first 16 verses. And then we'll read uh, additional portions a little bit later in our study. Uh, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, 
They and other certain women came with them to, to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told these things, the eleven and all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the mother of James and the other women with them and told these things to the apostles, and their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself what had happened. Now behold, two of them uh, were, stra- were traveling the same day to the village called Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Let's pray. Father, we ask again for the anointing of your spirit. I ask for the help of your spirit, the strength of your spirit. I ask for your wisdom, your understanding. Lord, I pray that your power would be poured out uh, in this place. You'd remove every distraction. I'd receive your power and your help, uh, Lord, to convey what it is that you want to convey to each and every heart. And Lord, that uh, the risen Jesus would be honored and glorified by everything said. Lord, as we've sung to you, now we read your word. May this entire service minister unto you, unto us, and draw any that don't know you into the family of God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus had been crucified, as most of you probably know by now, three days earlier. His closest followers, which included the 11, the 12 minus Judas, his own mother, and several other women whose lives he had transformed, they had seen Jesus condemned to death by the chief priests and officially by Pilate. They had seen Jesus brutally scourged, mocked, tortured. We have uh, replicas of the, of the uh, crown that was put on it. Those are real thorns right here from Virginia that are about the same length that you'd find there in Jerusalem. They, they put that crown and drove it into his skull Finally, the Roman soldiers nailed his perfect and sinless body to a tree. He was suspended in shame on pieces of wood that he had spoken into existence as the creator of the world. Materials that Jesus had created were now being used against him. And souls that he created were now trying to destroy him, which, by the way, you can't destroy Jesus. But they tried. But in Colossians 1.16, it says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominions and principalities and powers, the atomic realm, which is invisible to the naked eye, the spirit realm, invisible, but also the physical realm, all created by him. Now Jesus had spoken the universe into existence within the triune God, but now this same Jesus within the triune God had come to rescue the very souls that had turned on him and to be a sacrifice for all sins and all sinners, which is all of us. This is why he came to the earth. The whole reason he came. But his disciples, his followers, they didn't understand the full nature of his mission. They knew Jesus was holy, They knew he had no sin. They knew he was powerful. They knew he was unlike any other teacher that the world had ever known or saw. They knew he was the Messiah. They knew he was their Savior. And yet they still did not know or understand, in spite of him telling them directly, which the angels reminded the women of that morning, that he had to die and he had to suffer on a cross. Had to be that. Couldn't be hanging, couldn't be beheading. John the Baptist already had that one, right? Had to be the death on the cross. But then, and only reserved for Jesus, he had to rise three days later from the grave and shatter death victoriously forever. 
And that early Sunday morning, when the women disciples, they went to the tomb, they went to do what? Anoint Jesus with oil and bring spices. They had no thought whatsoever that Jesus would not be there. They didn't bring him to just throw him into the air. They brought him to put on his dead body. But in fact, when they get there, Jesus had already risen. He was alive and he had stepped outside of the tomb. Just before the sun rose, Jesus walked out of the tomb. But even though he was risen and even though the tomb was clearly empty, he had yet to reveal himself physically to anybody. Those early hours was just him, the Father, and the Spirit and we don't know what was taking place, but no one had seen him, even as he had walked out of the tomb. The angels obviously did. But from there in the garden to later that evening, and in different ways and in different means, Jesus would then reveal himself as risen to a number of the disciples that had believed on his words, first with the women, but then others, and when they would see him risen, when they finally saw him and they touched his nail-pierced hand and they touched his side, they would have a deeper faith in his resurrected life. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, Risen and Revealed. So here we are nearly, two, nearly 2,000 years later, day after day, year after year, century after century, Jesus continues to reveal his risen glory to millions of souls in every part of the world. By the way, you can ask someone if they've heard about the resurrection, and they say, yeah, I've heard about it. If they don't believe it, it's really not been revealed in a sense. Does that make sense? They can know it intellectually, but it's not been revealed to their soul as true. Now, it is true, whether they get it as true or not, but Jesus continues to reveal himself to millions all over the world. And it all began that glorious Sunday morning and went into the evening where he continued to reveal himself that very first day. And in addition to revealing himself, his risen body, Jesus confirmed with his resurrection that all the words he said were true and all the prophecies of themselves about the Messiah were true. And he further revealed that the scriptures themselves from Genesis to Malachi all pointed to him. The word of God points to the Son of God. Amen? The word of God points to the Son of God. If you can read the word of God and get, not get to the Son of God, you are missing the whole thing. The pages of scripture, they reveal the portrait of the Savior. And we'll see this in the text this morning. The pages of scripture reveal the portrait of the Savior. The empty tomb reveals the power, and the nail-pierced hands and feet reveal the price of our salvation. So you have the portrait, the power. Portrait is all the pages of Scripture. All of a sudden, the face of Jesus appears. Empty tomb, the power of Jesus. Nail-pierced hands and feet for all eternity. Even in heaven, we will still see those marks. It will always reveal the price of our salvation salvation. You can't buy it. I know gold went up high this week. You cannot buy it with gold. Only the blood of Jesus. Now this revelation of this miraculous Sunday is a day like no other in the history of the world. And this Sunday of Jesus revealing himself to his disciples and ultimately to the world, it comes on the heels of another week or the, the whole week prior, that was a week like no other that the world has ever seen. If you were here with us last week, we, we celebrated Palm Sunday, and we looked at the week uh, that had began, or we started to look last Sunday, when Jesus comes into the city, it begins that Passover week. So the Resurrection Sunday is exactly a week after he enters the city on Palm Sunday. And if you recall from last week, Jesus entered Jerusalem that Sunday prior, so a week earlier, riding on that young donkey that no one had ever, been, no one had ever ridden on before. And his arrival was greeted by thousands upon thousands shouting and waving palm branches, Hosanna, which means save now. And they were saying, blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And as Jesus began to descend down the Mount of Olives, 
looking over the city and, and seeing the people and hearing their worship and hearing their praise, but knowing that before the week ended, they would murder him and cry, crucify. He wept over the city, didn't he? He wept because he knew their heart. He knew what was coming. Now, that was just the beginning of the week. That was that Sunday when he comes into the city. Over the next few days, and I just want to make sure for people that haven't read the scriptures or maybe the scriptures are new to you, that you understand that some things you've heard in life happen all that same week. Let me give you some things that took place that week. Over the next few days, from the time he comes down, palm branches waving, Hosanna, over the next few days, Jesus, who came into the city, into the temple itself as the Passover lamb, he would be inspected the next four days. This is all these, they tried to trap him. Let's try this, let's try that. Uh, anything they could do to try and uh, catch him saying something that was blasphemous, of course, never worked. Over the four days, they inspected him, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the scribes, the priesthood, and they never could find fault just as the lambs were being inspected, the thousands of Passover lambs that were brought into Jerusalem, they were all being inspected for the same four days that Jesus was being inspected. That's not a coincidence. God lined all that up, right? While this was taking place, right in the early part of the week, he goes in and cleans out the temple. He overturns the tables. as the second time. He did it to start his ministry, and he does it the last week of his ministry. He drives all the money changers out. He takes and drives every bit of the things in the temple that were disgracing the name of his father and disgracing the worship. He drove everybody out of the temple. He cleansed it and cleared it out. That didn't make the priesthood happy at all. Then he cursed a fig tree. He sees a fig tree that has no fruit on it, and the fig tree represented the nation of Israel. This is all the same week. He curses a fig tree that has no fruit on it, and he cursed it because, like Israel, Israel was supposed to represent the fig tree and have fruit, and the fruit was supposed to be the fruit of repentance and surrender to God, but Israel did not have the fruit of repentance. It had the fruit of rebellion. Our country has the fruit of rebellion right now. There's no fruit of repentance. It's only the fruit of rebellion. That's why we see more immorality, more idolatry, more crime, more lawlessness. And Jesus was saying, that tree should have repentance. It have, should have the pure worship of God. It has none of that. He cursed it. And the next day, the disciples saw it was dead. Dead as a doornail, and I don't even know what that phrase means, but people have been saying it for a long time. So, dead as a doornail. I'll now say it too. He taught, then that same week, he teaches a teaching on the Mount of Olives that we now call the Olivet Discourse. And he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples are there with him, and they have that kind of bird's eye view straight at the massive temple mount there, and he taught there that the temple that they were amazed by, which was one of the ancient ones of the world, would be destroyed. And in fact, that prophecy would come true in A.D. 70 when Titus, the Roman emperor, would level the city and destroy the temple. He spoke there in that Olivet Discourse of coming persecution to the disciples and the church. He spoke of the last days of this world, which we're now living in. He spoke of the coming Antichrist, and he spoke of the final judgment. A lot of people don't know Jesus spoke of all these things the week of the cross or the week of Holy Week, Passion Week, Passover Week. They're all synonyms. Also, during this same week, near the end of the week, he revealed to his disciples at the Passover meal, which we now call the Lord's Supper, but it really was the Passover meal, that the bread, that unleavened bread, the little, uh, when you cook it unleavened, it has those stripes in the, and has little holes in it, that the unleavened bread represented his body and that the cup represented his blood. That same night, he prayed for them. John chapter 17, not only prayed for them, he prayed for all believers for all time, including all of us. Anytime you want to be encouraged, go read John chapter 17. It was for you and for me all the way till his return. Then... In his yielding to the will of the Father, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he sweats great drops of blood and he says, not my will, but thy will be done. Finally, there in the garden, this is all the same week from the descent down the Mount of Olives till right this point, 
And I'm actually skipping some things for time, but this is all in the same week. Finally, he's arrested in the dark of the night. He's unjustly mocked and condemned at the home of the high priest. He's then condemned by the high priest Caiaphas, sent to Pilate. Pilate sends him to Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate. And in the end, Pilate condemns Jesus to death on the cross because of the unrelenting desire of the chief priest and the religious leaders and the multitudes who demand his death, saying, crucify him, put his blood on our hands, and Pilate says, fine, I'll do it. They got their wish. But as they got their wish, we know that God the Father was fulfilling his entire perfect plan and will. Amen? Amen. That only the, the only sacrifice that God would accept was the blood being poured out of Jesus as the sacrificial Passover lamb. During that Passover week, and a lot of people don't know this, there was so many Passover lambs to be sacrificed. I mean, we're talking thousands of lambs. It, it, the population swelled. You had so many sacrifice, you had so many sacrificial lambs that had to be sacrificed that they would literally line the lambs up and come down and slaughter them just right down the line because there were so many. It was an awful scene. But it was portraying how awful sin is. And, that our t and then Jesus' blood would be more than all the lambs of all of time. Long before Jesus ever went to the cross, Isaiah the prophet foretold of his perfect and willing sacrifice that there would be a sacrifice coming that would be great enough to cover sins. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says, but he, not but the million lambs, doesn't say that, doesn't say but the thousand lambs, doesn't say but all the lambs that were ever slain. It's a, it's a person, it's an individual, but he was wounded for our transgressions, all of them. We talked about this Friday at the Good, uh, the Good Friday service. Sin is what you're born with. That's just missing the mark. Even if you're not trying to sin, you are a sinner. Transgression is when you know exactly what not to do and you do it anyway. That's the transgression. You know, like, the speed limit says, but I don't think it means it. <laughs> We've all done that, right? The missing the mark is when you didn't see the sign and you just drive that. Transgression, when you see the sign, say, I don't care, I'm going 40 over because I'm important or this meeting's important or whatever it may be. But obviously that's a, a, that's a best case scenario. The worst is saying, I know that adultery is wrong or I know murder is wrong and you do it anyway. Transgression. Sin, you just aren't perfect and you make mistakes. But both of them we need covered. He was wounded for our transgressions and sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. If Jesus does not bear the cross, nobody's healed. And praise God, Jesus fulfilled not just Isaiah 53, 5, but the entire chapter of Isaiah. And because the blood-stained cross, without the empty tomb, would be insufficient to save us. Understand that you have to have the cross, but you also have to have the empty tomb. It's like you have two sides of a coin. If you have a penny, both sides are still the penny. Your salvation, my salvation, needs the cross and the tomb. If Jesus is not risen, now we know he had to go to the cross, but if he's not risen, we still have a problem. We would still be dead in our trespasses and sin. How do we know this? I'm glad you asked. The Bible tells us so. First, Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ is not risen, your faith, my faith is futile, you are still in your sins. I'm not in my sins because Jesus is not in the grave, amen? amen? If he's in the grave, I'd still be in my sins, but now it doesn't mean I still don't have moments where I sin, but I'm not dead in my sins because he's no longer in the grave. But Isaiah also wrote, this is, a, this is again long before now, Paul writes this after the resurrection. Isaiah wrote this before the resurrection. Isaiah also wrote in his uh, prophecy in Isaiah 53, verse 10, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, 
He shall prolong his days. And by the way, some of the uh, writers in the Old Testament, they speak a little different even than the New Testament. You have hundreds of years in between, and you have different, uh, you have Hebrew, and in the New Testament you mostly have Greek. But nevertheless, what he's saying here is when Jesus makes his soul an offering for sin, he's the only offering that can cover sins, but not only would Jesus make his soul an offering for sin, that Jesus, the Messiah, would see his own seed and he would prolong his days. No one in this room, no one in this room, no matter how many vitamins you take, no matter how good of an ex, you actually cannot prolong your days. And as soon as your days end, they're done. But Jesus was going to die and three days later restart the clock and prolong his days for all eternity. That's what this is speaking to. It's, it's prophetic and nature. Understand that three days after he made his soul an offering for sin, Jesus would prolong his own days by raising his own body, defying everything that science, of course, he's over science. That's why he can walk on water, right? You know, law of science, you can't walk on water. He says, well, I made water. I can walk on water. You can't raise from the dead. Yes, I can. But he would also see his seed. Who is his seed? His seed is his spiritual children. If you're born again, that's you. Uh, his saved souls, his disciples. I am his seed. If you're saved, you are his seed. You're his offspring. We're the first fruits of the resurrection, the scriptures tell us. And this is what he's doing on this amazing resurrection. He is going to visit his seed. He's going to see his seed. And at first, they can't even see him. You'll notice this as we go through the text. He goes to see his seed, the women, the two on the road to Emmaus, then in the upper room. Now, first, with the women that come to the tomb, we read those verses. They come to the tomb. Later it'll be, and we're going to really focus this morning uh, for the next few minutes, on the two on the road to Emmaus. That's what I wanted to uh, felt led to focus on. And finally, he will come to Peter and the other disciples uh, at the end of the day. They'll be the last group to see him in the flesh, and, and that will be in the evening in Jerusalem. And even though uh, they are looking, they go to the tomb looking for Jesus, it's not that they actually, matter of fact, the first when they get there, they don't find him. They just find the empty tomb. The angels speak to them. It's not because they're looking for Jesus that they find him. It's that Jesus finds them. And as it is with our salvation, you did not seek him, he sought you. As it is with our salvation, when it comes to finding Jesus, we don't find him, rather he makes himself findable. He makes himself findable. And as we'll see in these closing verses, he makes himself revealable as well through the scriptures by opening their eyes and the one who opened the graves is the one who opens our eyes and softens our heart. You can try and soften your heart, but you need God's help to even to soften your heart, even to open your eyes. Now, before salvation, again, I have a before I have a, a, a before Christ and I have an after Christ. You know, so uh, for me, I got saved, as I mentioned, in 1995. But before salvation, before the light of the gospel comes in, and gives light to our blind eyes, none of us can see if God doesn't shine the light. Does that make sense? Like you're, if you're in a dark room and you literally have no way of making light, you need someone else on the outside to turn the light on, and that's what God does. Now that's with our salvation, but even after salvation, even after you've come to know the Lord, uh, there's lots and lots, depending on how many years the Lord gives you, years of growing and learning and seeing new things. And we still need Jesus to reveal himself to us post-salvation, just as he did in the work of salvation. Uh, and that comes through in the Word, as we read and study the Word, as we come to church and sit under the Word, as we're in prayer, as we're in song, as we're in fellowship with one another. All of these things continue to re reveal to us the risen Jesus in our life. And obviously, uh, that what we're going to look at here, this walking, talking discussion that takes place on the road to Emmaus, is really unique in all of time. Pick it up with me. Um, it is a unique day. It's a unique time, a unique moment uh, that uh, is different than anything we'll ever experience. But yet there's some things we can learn from it that apply to us. Uh, back to verse 13, because that's where our focus is, is these two on the road to Emmaus. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same, same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. 
And they talked together of the things which had happened. So it was that while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now they have three. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. They had no idea it was Jesus. All right, you want to join us? Uh, We're walking to Emmaus. Where are you going? Well, you want to go to Emmaus? Come with us. And as he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Jesus noticed that they were sad, they were depressed, they were dejected. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? I mean, this was the, this was the story the last three days, everything that had taken place. How did you, are you from out of town? Are you just getting here? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is like, oh, yeah, I've heard of him. Uh, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him and condemned him to death. I just talked about the week prior. This is Jesus. They're recounting to Jesus the week, like I just did in a, in a more brief summation, and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, Besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women from our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body, and they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels. It wasn't a vision. They really saw the angels. Who said he was alive? And certain of those who were with us went forth to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken ought not the Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded to them all the scriptures the things concerning himself this unique day this special day, only time in history where Jesus rose from the dead and began to reveal himself at the tomb, then on the road to Emmaus, then that night in Jerusalem. He's still revealing even to this day. And he will continue to reveal himself to those who willingly want to walk with Jesus, like these two are walking with him, talking with him, who are longing for Jesus, who want to see the risen Jesus as They study the Word and they say, just focus on His life and every aspect of our life. But as we look at these things, I just want to point some things out uh, that maybe uh, is an encouragement to all of us this morning. In verses 13 through 15 here, uh, it's been three days, and so these guys begin to leave Jerusalem. They're going to Emmaus at seven miles. Tradition tells us Emmaus is seven miles northwest. That would be like going towards the Mediterranean Uh, instead of the the way of the Jordan, which is the opposite way to the east. Uh, These two disciples, they, as they're walking and talking, they finally, three days after this time in Jerusalem, they say, all right, it's time to go home or wherever they're headed, and maybe Emmaus is just a stop on the way to wherever they're headed ultimately. But they start heading in that direction, and they are talking and mulling this thing over you ever had something that you can't figure out that you have talked about with someone in your family like eight million times? Like, this doesn't make any sense. I just don't understand how this happened. I did the right thing. And they were thinking to themselves, how could this possibly happen? This is, this is my picture of their conversation. Was it not just a week ago that he was on a donkey and everyone was waving palm branches and shouting, praise Hosanna? Was that not a week ago? And the guy said, yeah, it was a week ago. What happened? Well, maybe it started when he drove everybody out of the temple. Maybe that's what, you know. But, but he, and they're thinking, our own high priest, who's supposed to be a man of God, gave him over to Pilate. And they're just wrestling and talking and like, how did these things happen? And what went wrong? And how did this go so wrong so fast? Not realizing that God had laid those tracks before the foundations of the earth. Then Jesus comes up beside him. He's listening to their conversation, and he, he's having them workshop the whole thing. What are you guys talking? Why are you so sad? What is this you're workshopping? What is this you're discussing? What is this you guys are doing so dejected? And they're like, where have you been? The biggest travesty of justice we've ever seen just took place. Uh, one of the greatest 
prophets the world's ever seen was murdered and you don't know about this? And Jesus said, tell, tell me about all this. What, tell me what it is that you're discussing. And so he says, what things? Don't you love when Jesus asks questions that he knows the answer to? We don't know, uh, by the way, Cleopas is only mentioned here. We don't know who he is, and we don't know who the other disciple is. So some scholars believe that the other disciple might have been Luke himself, who will bite, write the book of Acts, write the book of Luke. And it would make a lot of sense if God's going to give Luke the keys to the book of Luke and the book of Acts, that he might have his own time with Jesus. It would make a lot of sense. Uh, but we don't know for sure, uh, but it certainly could have been Luke, um, but we don't know. They say in verse 19, move all the way, um, they said, you know, the things that we're talking about is Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty indeed, mighty as a, he was powerful, mighty indeed. He did miracles, that's what they're saying. He, he had these mighty miracles, and he was mighty indeed before God. He did not blaspheme God, he ministered to God. They were, they were saying his, his walk was pure, his ministry was pure. He did all this before God and before the people, and he served the people. And they were realizing, why would he be murdered when he did all this that was clearly holy and righteous? This is their reasoning. They're telling Jesus, it doesn't make any sense. And, and then verse 20, and the chief priests and our rulers, they said, the guys that were supposed to look out for righteousness gave him to Pilate. And then they say in verse 21, but we were hoping, we were hoping he'd be the one to restore Israel. We were, we were hoping he'd be the one that would sit on the throne and rule in righteousness and we'd get rid of Caesar and Herod and Pilate and all these godless rulers. And by the way, as they think through all this, it made no sense. It did, it did not make rational sense to them because they were now changed men. These, these, these two were saved. It didn't make any sense to them why their own leaders would kill a man who had healed thousands of people, raised Lazarus and others from the dead, fed thousands of people, ministered to people, loved people. They're like, why would they kill him? You look at our country right now. They hate a lot of Christians like us that are just trying to love the world. But boy, if you hate God, you can be a celebrity. They'll put you on a pedestal. They'll make you the front page of a magazine as long as you're a blasphemer. And Jesus was the opposite of that. And they didn't realize that it's always been a satanic attack. And they were trying to rationalize. How did this make sense? And Jesus is listening to their conversation and, and digesting it all. And then we get to verse 25. Jesus scolds them. He rebukes them. Even though uh, he actually had a lot of empathy for where they were at, he understood that uh, they were just flawed human beings that really did love him and really had come into saving faith. And they really were sad that their Messiah and their mind was gone. But he says to them, oh foolish one, slow of heart to believe. Now this all goes back to exactly what the angels reminded the women there. Remember they said, uh, remember when he was still in Galilee saying, the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and crucified and the third day rise again. Even if something has never happened before, if God tells you it, you need to believe it the first time. Amen? But no one ever, even his close disciples, didn't believe it. They didn't believe it until they saw him. But we can understand because we would have done the same thing. We would have said, well, I thought that you were speaking in metaphor. That just didn't make any sense. But Jesus said you were slow of heart. The, the scriptures themselves said it. I said it. You should have been expecting the Son of Man to rise. Again, they hadn't seen him anyway. They're still looking for him. But he goes and, goes and says, um, slow to heart to believe in what the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ have suffered these things to enter into his glory? So Jesus is saying, look, the Messiah had to be uh, crucified. He had to come and suffer. I talked about this uh, Friday with the, uh, the Good Friday uh, service that we had. The rabbinical writings, some of the rabbis believed that there would have to be a suffering Messiah, and some believed that there would also be a victorious king Messiah, but they weren't the same person, and we know they were the same person. Jesus was both the suffering Messiah and he was the coming king, but it's on a timeline. He would first come as the suffering servant, he will return the second time as 
the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Although he already is the King of Kings, he will reveal that part of his glory uh, to the whole world. But first he was revealing uh, him as the suffering Messiah. And so Jesus said, all this was already in the Scriptures. You guys should have seen this coming. And I have some of the Scriptures up. Uh, it said in Psalm 22, and Jesus could have begun to expound on these and others, but in Psalm 22, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones, and they look and stare at me. You can imagine some of the disciples seeing Jesus on the cross, and his hands and feet pierced, and they might be thinking, where have I seen a verse that says this? Psalm 23 is famous. There's one just before it in Psalm 22. And then I already read from Isaiah 53, but here's Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. You remember in front of Pilate, he went silent at one point. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Where have we seen Jesus? John said at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, behold the Lamb of God. Where have we seen a passage in the scriptures that talks about a lamb that was slain. Oh yeah, Isaiah 53. And then Jesus himself. And this is just a small sample because we don't have much time. But in John chapter 3, this was the Nicodemus at night, the Nick at night meeting, right? Jesus and Nicodemus. And he said, everyone knows John 3.16, but John 3.14, Nicodemus was a scholar in the, in the scriptures. He, if you would have asked Nicodemus, tell me about the serpent in the wilderness, he would have said, oh yeah, that, everybody was getting bit by fiery serpents, and then Moses put a bronze serpent on a pole, and he put the pole up, and everyone that looked at the pole would be spared from death. And Jesus says, true story. Now let me tell you what it really means. Even as the Son of Man is lifted up, and Jesus would become the sin upon a tree instead of the serpent on a pole, and the serpent represented the, the start of sin in, in the garden there. Jesus said, I'm going to take the sin upon myself. I will be lifted up, and you'll look to me for salvation. That's what he was conveying to Nicodemus there in the middle of the night. Moving on to verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. There on this resurrection day, this walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, he begins to give probably the greatest Old Testament survey Bible study that the world has ever seen. Jesus teaches from Genesis to Malachi, and he does it, I don't know how, this is how I picture it. You know in Chronicles of Narnia, the kids go in a closet, they think they're gone for like a thousand years, they come back and it's like three minutes gone. Hey, you know, like, that's to me, this is Jesus walking with them, and he has the ability to teach them all through the Old Testament in this short walk all the scriptures that can, and, and, and yet time, everything holds. And I don't know how to make sense of it. I'm just saying he teaches a lot. It, Moses and the prophets expounded them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, these passages and many, many others how Moses was a foreshadow, how Joseph was a foreshadow, how David was a foreshadow, all these different things. Melchizedek, which isn't taught about again until you get to the book of Hebrews. And you can imagine, Jesus had already told them in the book of John, I am the good shepherd. Can you imagine Jesus teaching, have you guys heard Psalm 23? Let me tell you about Psalm 23 and how it relates to your risen Messiah and all these things he's teaching them. And then we get to verses 28. Uh, he, then We didn't read these yet, so take a look with me at verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. So they're getting close to Emmaus now. They're, they've been having this long Bible study of Jesus teaching them the entire Old Testament. And he indicated that he would have gone further. So Jesus said, hey, I'm going to keep going. And, and they, but they constrained him. They were like begging him to stay. Like, this study is awesome. <laughs> you know, you... Sometimes you can't wait for me to finish and get out of here, but they were not that way. They were like, this study is really good. Please don't let it end. And they constrained him to stay. They're like, no, keep, keep, keep telling us. Is there, is there more that you can go back? Uh, and they might have wanted to ask questions. What did you mean by that? And they constrained him. They, they said, please stay with us. The day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them, so he agrees, he goes in, verse 30. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread. It, what, what fascinates me about this scene is Jesus walks in, and he takes charge. 
instead of them doing it, it, he takes the bread and blesses it. Uh, Like he walks in, he's no longer, um, it it just, you see a little bit of, he's taking his king authority right out of the gate. He walks in there and he blesses the bread and he's the one that breaks it and their eyes are immediately open and they knew him. And then he vanished from their sight. Say, why does he do that? I don't know. (laughs) But we have some pretty cool stuff to observe with that. Look at the rest of it, and we'll kind of bring this to a close. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us? So Jesus vanishes. Verse 32, and they said, "Did uh, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures? No one had ever preached and taught like this. They had never heard anyone expound on verses that maybe didn't even make sense to them before. They had never seen the Messiah in those verses. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with uh, and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was made known to them and the breaking of bread. These men were already saved but they were drawn even closer to Jesus as he was revealing in his risen power, he's revealing the scriptures to them. And then he revealed, when he breaks the bread, here's the picture they finally get. He is the bread. When he had said before, I am the bread of life, I am the bread come down to heaven, I bet you they still didn't believe it. But now they realize because of the nail pierced in his hands and feet, he was the broken bread. It made sense to them finally Now we get it. He is the manna come down from heaven. He is the bread of heaven in his sacrificial life. Uh, All of a sudden, he was made known to them in that moment. Now, the Holy Spirit made sure they could not see this until this moment. But the Holy Spirit is the one that will continue to give us spiritual vision in our Christian walk. Amen? New revelation, new understanding, deeper understanding, deeper faith. And he said our hearts burned within us. It. it wasn't that they were feeling guilty, like, oh, we're condemned. You know, when I, I remember when I first got saved, oh, even before I got saved, many an altar call, I sat there with my heart pounding out of my chest, but it wasn't pounding out of my chest with excitement. It was like, I don't think I want to do this, but I bet I should. Then I got to the point that I don't think, it wasn't that I bet I should, I know I should, but I don't want to because there's some fun happening tonight that I don't want to miss out on. And my heart was beating for, it wasn't burning with passion for the Lord, it was burning for how can I get out of here and still preserve myself and think about it a little bit longer. Maybe that's someone here this morning. But that wasn't where they were at. They were now already saved. They were, their hearts were like falling deeper in love with Jesus. They were like, wow, we could sit under this. Didn't our hearts burn within us? We we were learning, we were absorbing, we were tasting it. It wasn't a guilty heart, but a deeper passion for the Lord. And and with all this, they finally get to the place when when their eyes are open. They're not at all bummed out that Jesus vanishes. Instead, they say, let's pull an all-nighter. Let's walk seven miles back to Jerusalem and find some people to celebrate with. So when Jesus reveals himself to you, even when he does things you don't understand, like, well, I thought he was going to answer this prayer, you will focus more on what he is doing, not what you don't understand. Amen? And that's what they did. They, they, they weren't bummed about it. They say, let's go back to Jerusalem and celebrate that we have a risen Savior. The last book of the Bible, it's called the book of Revelation, but its full name is the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes there, He comes there to John the Apostle who's been banished there. How many of you guys think John knew Jesus pretty good? Like better than you do. Uh, So uh, he walked with him for three years. He was the only one in Pilate's court that saw that. He was the only one that um, was on the Mount of Transfiguration along with two others. So you know, there's lots of things that he saw. But when he saw Jesus there, he fell as a dead man. He'd never seen Jesus revealed in that way. And it goes to show that God can continue to reveal himself deeper, he's the same Lord, but as you grow in your relationship, then your faith grows and your understanding grows. And John would see that the risen Jesus was able to reveal to him 
in ways that uh, he had never seen before. And he was the oldest disciple, the only one alive at that time. But after salvation, we need the revelation of Jesus for salvation. But we also need the revelation of Jesus after salvation. Amen? That's why you're here this morning, I hope, that we receive more of our understanding from the Lord. And as he came to these two disciples, as we said, they were already saved. And he revealed not only himself to them, but he revealed the scriptures to them, not for them to get saved. They were already saved. What was he revealing for them? This is, this is the encouragement to all of us. He was revealing to them, not for salvation, but for settling them because they were distraught. Strengthening them because they were weak. Sanctifying them because they would need his sanctification for the tough days ahead. And sending them because they needed to know that if they had a risen Savior, they could go anywhere and know that God had already conquered everything, so what else out there could stop them? That is what he was saying. That is what he was conveying. Not their salvation. They were already saved. But he was settling them, strengthening them, sanctifying them, and ultimately sending them. That's why they go straight back to Jerusalem, because they're like, we got a job to do. Let's go get it done. And he does the same with us, amen? He settles us, he strengthens us, he sanctifies us, and he sends us. I love the words as I bring it to a close. Uh, so many good hymns, but this one you guys know. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may. I don't care if people say, I don't believe in the resurrection. It doesn't make any difference to me. Well, it does. I would say believe it, but I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, he's always near. Amen? You may not be walking to Emmaus, but he'll walk with you tomorrow, the next day. Because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Amen? Father, we just thank you again for your word. We know it's true, and we look forward to the day, Lord, we can hear you teach from Genesis to Malachi as you did to the two on the road to Emmaus. Things that we never saw on this earth, things that we never understood, scriptures we never pondered, things that we got wrong. But Lord, we know that even through eternity, you can reveal yourself because you are unlimited, you're infinite. There's more layers, there's more of your glory to reveal. And Lord, we ask uh, Lord, that we would not be foolish and slow of heart, but that we believe the scriptures and our faith would grow deeper in them and deeper in you. And indeed, Lord, because you live, we can face not only tomorrow, but the next day and the next day and the next day. But Lord, there may be some here that aren't ready for tomorrow because they're not ready for eternity. And Lord, if there's even one here that you've been convicting, and maybe their heart is pounding out of their chest, not in passion for you, but just they're in a struggle. They're in a tug of war for their soul. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone maybe watching online, maybe here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, they, they don't believe that this is true, that even now you would instantaneously tell them it's true. Believe now. And Lord, there's a lot of lies that we can believe in this world, but you are 100% truth. You're the way, the truth, the life. And, and while your heads are bowed, if I don't know the condition of any heart in here, I can't even fully discern my own. Only God can. And I, I know that I'm saved, but even, even the thoughts intense of heart, God discerns. But if there's even one person here, and I have maybe out in the fellowship hall, I know we've got some overflow out there. If there's even one person, you say, you know, I, I've heard this story, and I, I thought it was true, but I 100% believe that Jesus really is the only sacrifice for my sins, the only atonement for my sins, that he's the only way I can spend eternity in heaven because the reason Jesus came and the reason he said I am the resurrection and the life is because we all were born for eternity, but sin in the garden meant eternity in hell as opposed to eternity in paradise with God. Jesus comes and reverses the curse and you say, I've never really put my faith and trust in him. I've never called upon him. I've never turned from my sins and ran to the cross. He is the one making himself findable for you this morning. He's the one that's seeking you. I'm just restating what he's already said. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. The Lord wants to save you, even this morning, whoever you may be in this room. He's speaking 
Is there anyone here that says, I want to give my life to Jesus today? He gave my life for me. He's raised from the dead. I want eternal life. I do not. I did a, I did a service yesterday. I, you know, I got a call last night of a friend that passed away suddenly. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. Neither am I. Anyone at all? Raise your hand. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just being truthful. Anyone at all say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Don't put it off. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Maybe you're online. Maybe you're out there. I'm going to pray. And if you're wanting to give your life, say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you're the Lamb of God. I believe your blood cleanses me from all sin. Lord, cleanse me, wash me, forgive me, for I'm deciding this day to follow you, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Lord, help me now to grow in your grace. And if you've done that, you can... Send us a note at questions at calvarychapelrva.com. It's questions at calvarychapelrva.com. We'd love to meet with you and help disciple you. For all of you here, why don't you stand as we close in worship? You have a risen Savior. And I pray that that truth becomes more real to you I've been married for, it'll be 29 years in May. I love being married more now than I did 27 years. And 28, I mean, I, and your relationship with Jesus can con continue to grow, amen? Let's worship together as we come to a close here.